We start a new series, Be Expectant. I'm going to be in Luke chapter 17. We're going to start in verse 5. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to get you a Bible. If you got your phone, pull it out. If you don't have any of the above, we've got it on the screen for you. Luke 17, 5. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. Jesus replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Then Jesus gives this weird explanation for increasing their faith. He says, suppose one of you has a servant who is plowing or looking after their sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down and have something to eat? No, 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 no. Won't he rather say, and and I got to say, this feels kind of weird to me. But Jesus says, won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. And after that, then you can eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you've been told to do, he said, you should say, we are your unworthy servants. We are your unworthy servants, and we have done our duty. We've done our duty. Uh, the, the phrase that I want us to claim over our lives in this next season as we are living expectantly is this. We want to say, in a world that seeks control, we will live expectantly, focusing on how God moves, proclaiming victory, and believing God will do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. Hey, listen, let's say this together, church. If you're online, you can just type it in the chat with us and say it as well. But let's say this together. In a world that seeks control, we live expectantly, focusing on how God moves, proclaiming his victory, and believing God will do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. It's time to be expectant be hope. And so today I want to talk about the first portion of our vision. What does it mean to live expectantly? So I want you to turn to two people and say, high five me, and you can have a seat. I'm glad you are awake today. The hour has not phased you, apparently. This is good. So I want to start off really, really heavy today, um, and then we're going we're gonna to build as we go. It's like a slow burn, okay? So I know some of you are like, wait a minute, heavy? I don't want heavy. Here we go. So, so I wonder for you if your faith, if your faith feels like a duty. Does it feel like a duty to you? Is it a have to? Is it because your parents made you? Uh, is it just something you're supposed to? Does your faith feel like a duty to you? And sometimes when Jesus speaks, he tells us all the things that we're supposed to do. And I don't know about you, but when I'm told what to do, I do the opposite of what I'm told to do. Do we have any contrarians in here? Anybody that likes to go against the grain? See, see, see there is a struggle in our faith because often we're told what to do, but we're like, nah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't want to. Uh, when I was in high school, my mom, uh, she, she would fold our clothes and she'd put them on the stairs. And she'd say, take your clothes up the stairs. And you know what we did? We left them on the stairs for weeks on end. And, and one day my mom looked at me and she said, you take those clothes up or else. And I got really interested what or else meant. <laughs> Don't do this to your parents, guys. I said, or else what? 
Now that sounds disrespectful, but my mom and I had a really good relationship, and I was kind of laughing, or else what? What are you going to do? And you know what she said? She said, she said, you will not play in your football game on Friday night. I said, wait a minute, you mean to tell me? Like, well, let me rephrase that. You really think that my coaches aren't going to start me because I didn't take my clothes up the stairs and put them away? Let me, let me ask you, do you really think, Mom, you're not going to let me start because I didn't put my clothes away? Like, come on. And she said, Brad Allen, you take those clothes and you put them upstairs right now. You do it right now. And I did. And I did, but I didn't enjoy it. Right? Because for most of us, we don't like being told what to do. Like when your boss tells you what to do, when your parents tell you what to do, when they put restrictions on your phone because they want to monitor your social media and stuff like that, you want to push back. Right? And I think there's a reason in our faith why we push back or why it feels like a duty is because, because of these three reasons. And here are my three reasons on why we don't like being told what to do. Reason number one is because for most of us, when we're told what to do, it feels more condescending and less like a crescendo. If I could say it this way, it's like if you go to the doctor and the doctor says, you should probably eat more vegetables and less ice cream. That feels condescending to me. I would rather eat ice cream. I'd rather say, wow, you've had too many vegetables. You should pack down some ice cream. But when they say, you need some vegetables, bro. Okay, I need to lose weight. I got it. It feels condescending. The other reason why we don't like being told what to do is because for many of us, we can't see the end before we start. For many of us, we need to know the outcome before we ever begin. And so we don't like being told what to do. Uh, when it comes to this last one, this is so good. We don't like being told what to do because often we're only told what, but we aren't told why. The, the other day, uh, I told my son, I said, hey, son, could you come here for a second? And he said, am I in trouble? And I said, no, you're not in trouble. He said, what do I have to do? <laughs> so disappointing. Like, I thought taking the trash out was exciting. <laughs> And so when Jesus, when Jesus in verse 10 says to us, he says, so you also, when you have done everything that I've told you to do, you should say, we are your unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. And I, I struggle with that. Because if faith is about just doing my duty, I gotta be honest, it feels condescending. I, I wanna know the outcome before I begin this faith journey. I wanna know why Jesus is telling me what to do. I just don't wanna do what he's telling me to do. And for most of us, we've just lived our lives being told what to do. Some of you, you step into faith and you come into church because it's what your parents did. Some of you, you have faith or you follow Jesus or you're even questioning your faith. You're only here because your parents made you come today. Some of you, you are now parents and you are making your kids come and you are just projecting onto them what you hated about your parents. <laughs> too much, that's too much, wasn't it? I'll ease up. I'll ease up. But what if, let me just pose this question to you. What if Jesus telling us what to do was not about your duty, but it's about all? It's about increasing your faith. It's about increasing your faith. See, what is so fascinating in the passage, if you had your Bible in front of you and you can see the whole text, what is, what is interesting to me is that Jesus is teaching his disciples who often cannot figure things out. And in the middle of the message, they just scream, God, increase our faith. Like, just increase our faith. Some of you, you love to talk in the middle of my messages. If I were Jesus, I would have thought, 
dude, I have not finished my message. Be quiet and sit down. But here are the disciples. Increase our faith. And so Jesus tells them this, this parable out of servant. But I wonder for, for us, if we are missing the point, if all we can hear is about the things we have to do. What if Jesus is trying to get us to is about increasing our faith. It's about increasing our faith when we don't know the test results. It's about increasing our faith when, when we look at the world and we say, oh my goodness, this place is a mess. It's about increasing our faith when we have questions about where God is when we see earthquakes, we see disasters, we see war, and we're going, God, where are you in the middle of this? It's about increasing your faith when, you, when you're thinking about your future and the school that God wants you to go to. But see, to, to increase your faith, you have to live expectantly. See, when you live expectantly, you don't know the why every time. When you live expectantly, oh, sometimes you can't see the end before it ever begins. So, so, so if you remember, Pastor Sheila, can you help me with the basketball? Last night uh, at our Saturday night service uh, here at Beaver Creek, I was looking for my basketball, and then I blamed Pastor Keisha's kid because I said that, that he took it. And then in the middle of the service, uh, Abby over there just comes up and hands it to me because, well, Keisha's kid didn't take it. So I'm sorry, Lennox. I apologize. I did not mean to blame you. But, but we said at the beginning of the year that if you're told to palm a basketball, many of us do it this way. Why? Because it's what you've been taught. It's what's expected of you. It's because you have a firm grip. You have control. That's what it means to be expecting or live from expectation. But we said, hey, in 2023, we kind of want to flip that paradigm and we want to be expectant. And we said, no, no, we want to live open-handed. Sometimes we don't have to know the outcome. Sometimes we don't have to know what's in front of us. Sometimes we don't need to know the reason why. We just live open-handedly toward God and we trust that whatever is about to happen is in his hands. We have to live expectantly. And, and so Jesus wants to teach this to his disciples, and sometimes he gives them instruction, but they need an example. And so what I love is that often Jesus will instruct them, he will teach them, but then he will give them a real-life example. And so I want to go to verse 11. Here's what it says. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into village, ten men who were there had leprosy, and they met him. They stood at a distance, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, would you please have pity on us? When he saw them, he said, go. Jesus tells them what to do. Go and show yourself to the priest, because only the priest was the one who could declare them clean. And it says, as they went. Turn to your neighbor and say, as they went. Come on, church, this is important. As they went, online, put it in the chat. As they went, as they went, it says they were cleansed. Now, now, I've done something different this year with scripture I've never done before. I started reading scripture with our theme in mind. Sometimes scripture just gets dry and the same old stories come up and I'm like, I know the point. But, but try reading it with being expectant or living expectedly in mind. See, see, I thought the point was it's about what we're supposed to do. But then I realized in this moment that if this whole story is about them being healed as 
they went, church. Oh, see, this is so good. It doesn't say in the story that they were healed before they went. It says they were healed as they went. Meaning Jesus tells them, go and show yourself to the priest. And they make the turn and they haven't even started the healing process yet. But, but then I think about myself and it's like, Brad, how often, how often do you take a step of faith and God hasn't moved? How often do you have to see the evidence of God's work before you, you take a step of faith? Are you with me on this? How often, church, do we have to say, God, you prove yourself to me and then I will take a step of faith? See, see what I love about the lepers in this moment is they act in faith even, they, even though they don't have evidence of God's work. Well, church, this is so good. See, see, real faith begins to increase when you act in faith, even though you don't have the evidence, the outcome, the ending, the miracle already at work. I'm, I'm going to help you understand this in the only way that I know how. This could be a terrible example, but you'll forgive me. I am a hillbilly at heart. Uh, I'm also a chameleon, so uh, when I'm in the country, I look like I'm from the country. When, when I'm in the hood, I just pretend like I'm in the hood. I, 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 wherever I go, I, I'm still trying to figure out what I do with Beaver Creek. Like, I've been wearing urban wear for so long, and I know that that's probably not it, but I'll get it figured out, okay? So sorry. Hillbilly, back to the hillbilly part. So, so when I was a kid, my dad would take us to the, to the county fair, <laughs> and we would watch tractor pulls. You guys familiar with this? How many of you have seen a tractor pull in life? Ooh, that's fun. More than the last crowd. And sometimes when we couldn't get to the fair, we would watch it on TV, because it's better than NASCAR. It really is. And some of you, if, if you've never seen this, you're like, what is the point of a tractor pull? And, and so uh, I've created, well, I didn't, but Pastor Matt did. Uh, he created this video for us of what a tractor pull looks like. And, and so here's, if you don't know, here is how it works. Can, can we roll the footage? Yes. It's so fantastic. <laughs> I was uh, trying to make the point in, in our last service uh, and then I came up, and everybody was laughing, and they missed the point. So I just just wait there. But 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 the point of a tractor pull is to see what truck or what tractor can can go the furthest down the track. That's the whole goal. You wanna you wanna go as far as you can. It's kind of like shot put. Who can throw it the furthest? But but here's the caveat. In a tractor pull, there is a sled on the back, right? And, and the longer the tractor goes down the track, the weight distribution on the sled begins to shift. It moves from the back of the sled to the front of the sled, putting more weight on the tractor's tires. And so what happens is they'll get down and you'll, you'll, see, them, you'll see them spin out. Are you with me on this? It's so much fun. Listen, uh, tractor pulling is hillbilly weightlifting. Like, the only other sport where we celebrate how much weight you can lift is is an Olympic, you know, uh, uh, Olympics or CrossFit, it's in weightlifting. Hillbilly weightlifting is tractor pulls. How far can you go? And we notice what, the further they go, the more the weight increases. And so you're probably like, 
what does this have to do with a leper? Because I was thinking about the story, and, and the question I was wrestling with was, how far in the journey did they get before they were healed? Was it, was it one step in? Was it, was it halfway down the street? See, I like a really good story, and so I made up my own story. See, my story goes like this. The lepers got to the end of their journey, and they're walking up the temple steps, and they can see the priest, the one who's supposed to declare them clean, and yet they haven't been cleansed yet, but they keep taking the steps because they're acting in faith, even though they haven't seen the evidence of the work. And I want to show you, church, how this works. Because the longer they go down this journey looking for healing, come on, make it happen, right? The more their faith continues to grow. The further they go down the track, see, for most of us, when we go down the track, we have doubts, we have questions. We're like, where are you, God? But in this moment, they said, our God said that he would heal us. And the longer they go down this track, the more their faith begins to increase. Increase my faith, church. That's what the lepers were saying. Increase my faith. We will act before we have evidence. Where in your life do you need to act before you have evidence so you can see the increase of your faith? See, see, when I, when I look through the events of Scripture, it is filled with people who act in faith before they ever see the work of God on their life. I think about Abraham. There was this guy who had a beautiful land, and God said, leave it. Walk in the wrong direction. And then, and then I need you to go there. And guess what? You won't see the promise right away, but I need you to make the journey. See, he, he made the journey without seeing the fulfillment of the promise. When I think about uh, Noah, oh, that's a, such a terrible story to tell your kids, by the way. But when I think about Noah, Noah acted in faith. He was building the ark before he ever saw it raining. Moses, Moses says yes to God's call on his life before how he ever knew how he was going to free his people in slavery. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, some of you are like, is that like a band? I've never heard of those guys before. This is such a fascinating story. If you've never read it, just Google it and read it or get a Bible and read it. But, but there are three guys who proclaim their faith in God and then they're thrown into a fiery furnace. And guess what? They continue to give God praise, not even knowing how they're going to be rescued in the middle of the fire. They are acting in faith before they see the evidence of God's work. Jesus says this to us. He says, in the kingdom of God, you need to feed the hungry. You need to clothe those who are poor. You need to visit those who are sick. And sometimes we struggle to act in faith because we don't think the result is going to end up the way we want it to. Jesus says, I need you to act in faith. Because when you act in faith without the evidence of his work, you begin to see an increase Oh, can I preach to somebody today? See, there is an increase in your life when you keep believing that you're going to have kids, even though the doctor said it's not going to work out. There is an increase in your life when you start asking people for forgiveness, not even caring about the response because you don't need to know how they're going to respond. See, you have an increase in faith 
when you remain silent and people keep attacking your character. There is an increase in faith when you step out and you keep fighting even though you feel like you're so weak you want to sit on the sidelines. There is an increase in faith when you keep seeking God's purpose on your life and everyone around you has written you off saying there's no way that God could use you. You're just average. You're just ordinary. You're unschooled. There's no way God can. There's an increase when you keep seeking his purpose. There's an increase when you make difficult decisions. There's an increase when you pray, you pray bold prayers to God, and yet you haven't heard them answered or seen the evidence of his work, church. There's an increase in our faith when we act in faith before we ever see God move. And so you're saying, Brad, how, how do I do that? How, how do I act in faith? And this is where the story, oh, for me, this is my favorite part. Verse 15. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, it says he came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. If you missed that last week, we covered what a Samaritan was. He was a Michigan fan. <laughs> By the way, it was a put down when they, when they said it. Today we read it and think we're the heroes. No. Anyway, we'll stop there. Jesus asked him. This is so good. He said, were not all ten of you cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one to return to give praise to God except this foreigner? Except this foreigner. Except, except the foreigner. Oh, this, this is powerful. I, I got to give credit where credit is due, okay? Um, I give the man credit because after he was healed, he comes back and gives God praise. I give him credit for it. Because to be honest, there are lots of times I pray to God and I move on about my day. You? You ever been so busy? You pray a prayer, God answered it, and three months later, like, oh, he did answer that. That's right. I forgot about that. I struggle sometimes just to give God praise for the work that he's done in my life. But, but here's the question that I wrestle with in the story because, because Jesus says, has no one come back except, except this person, except the one? And so my thought was this. When did gratitude for God's work become the exception and not the standard? Like, when did it become the exception and not the standard? See, see, I think that gratitude for God's work, oh, gratitude for answers prayers should be expected of you. It should be expected of us. But gratitude for unanswered prayers is expectant. Gratitude for answered prayers is expected, but gratitude for unanswered prayers is expectant. See, when you start giving God praise... Before you ever see the evidence of his work, when you start giving him gratitude, it's not about your altitude, it's about the, not about your attitude, but the altitude of your faith. See, sometimes we say gratitude is about your attitude, you need to change, maybe some of us do need to change your attitude, but gratitude is not about your attitude, it's about, it's about the altitude of your faith. And so the way that we live expectantly is that we pray expectantly. 
that we start giving God praise before we ever see him move. Let, 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 me, let me explain this to you. There's a, a woman in my life, other than my wife, who, by the way, is amazing. Uh, that sounded kind of weird when I said that. Uh, don't take me incorrectly here. There was a woman who, who shaped my faith as a pastor. And uh, a few years ago, uh, Wanda called me and said that her son, who his name was Tim, and he was in his mid-20s. And Tim was struggling in life, right? We all have demons. He had demons. He was working through things. And somehow it, he landed himself in the hospital up at Northwestern. And she said, would you, would you, would you come and pray for him? And so, so when I got up to Northwestern and I walk in the room, here is Tim with his chest cavity cut open and there was a wound vac in his chest trying to heal the hole. He had to have major surgery. And, uh, and I'm looking, I'm thinking, this is, this is not good. And so the nurse said, uh, you can't get close to him because he's got all sorts of things going on and you might catch what he's got, so you need to stay away. So uh, because she told me what to do, did the opposite so I got real close to Timmy and I'm like whatever you got bro I'm gonna get it too and I looked at Tim and uh you ever looked at a person and you think the outcome is not gonna be good like I'm looking at Tim and I'm like he's gonna he's gonna die do, do you know how hard church it is to give God, gratitude and praise when the situation you're facing does not look good. Like, like you get this. How hard is it to give God praise when addiction is running rampant through your family and it's tearing it apart? How, how easy is it to give God gratitude and thanks when your friends consistently deal with thoughts of taking their own life? Like, how do you give God praise when the people you love are going through cancer and, and you're not sure that they're going to make it, how do you give God praise? And so I, I prayed the only prayer that I know. I looked at Tim and I said, Tim, I want you to know that God is present with you in this moment, that his peace is over your life. But I believe most of all that Jesus loves you with everything that he is, that he's died for you, he's forgiven you, he has been resurrected for you. And today, today you can have eternal life right now. Not just tomorrow, but in this moment. Do you know what happened to Tim a few days later? He died. He died. But I have not let that moment be the marker of my faith. Because when I walked out of his hospital room and I saw his mom, I asked the question that you should never ask as a pastor, how you doing? You do not want me coming to the hospital to help you. <laughs> I do not know what to say. You do not want me there. And I just first thing, how you doing? Do you know what Wanda said to me? She looked at me and she said, pastor, she said, my faith is stronger than it's ever been before. She said, I don't know what's going to happen to my son, but I know that God's got this. I'm going to give him glory. And regardless of what happens in his life, I'm going to give him all the praise. <laughs> and
And, and when I was texting her asking permission to share this story with you today, she said, you know what? And you know what? God did get all the glory and God did get all the praise because Tim gave his life to Jesus right before he died. Right before he died, he gave his life to Jesus. And I look back at that moment and I think, I think, how could you give God gratitude and praise when you're about to lose your son? And yet she did it. And when I saw her giving praise to God, even before the outcome of her son's life, it increased my faith, church. It increased my faith. And so, so I, I want to teach you what God is teaching me. Can I teach you what God is teaching me? Let's, let's learn together, okay? This will be a weird, odd adventure. It's been like that up to this point. And so I'll try to make it less odd. But, but here's what I'm learning in my life. I am learning to give God praise for the prayer that I'm about to pray as though it's already been answered even though I don't see the evidence. Did you follow that? We give God praise for the prayer that we're about to pray as though it's been answered even though we don't have the evidence of God answering that prayer. And so in, in my life, uh, this is what it's looked like um, because I'm so simple, I call it praise before the prayer. Praise before the prayer. Say that out loud with me. Praise before the prayer. Come on online. Praise before the prayer. So, so if you look at my journal, uh, I don't journal, I jot because I'm not smart enough to journal. I'm just thinking bullet points. And so in my journal, you'll see this. It says praise, the letter B, the number four, and then prayer. Praise before the prayer. I'm too lazy to spell it out. And, and here's what I'll say. God, I'm giving you praise for dot, dot, dot. You should do this in your phone, in your journal. Write this down. This is, I'm giving you praise for dot, dot, dot. And this is what my prayers sound like. And I'm going to tell you, it feels really odd to start praying like this because it's unnatural to us. See, we pray to God and we give him a question mark. God, heal my arm. Maybe. God, help me today. So here's what I'm learning. I'm saying, God, today I'm giving you praise that you are going to use my sons to impact somebody's life. God, I'm giving you praise that you are drawing Janelle and I together, even though there's chaos and distance in our schedule. God, I'm giving you praise for the outcome of this hard conversation that I have to have with somebody, and I have no clue how it's going to end. I'm already giving you praise for it. God, I'm, I'm giving you praise for, for my list of names of people who I have no clue how they're going to meet you. But in the end, I'm giving you praise as though they've already been saved. Oh, God, I'm, I'm giving you praise as a church that we're going to see 400 baptisms in 2023. Even though we haven't seen them yet, I'm going to give you praise as though that prayer has already been answered. And so uh, I'm not going to do this in this service because the last two services have gone poorly in this thought. But I was going to ask you to turn somebody and try it. And, and, and do you know what happens? Everybody goes. And then I said, well, somebody shout it out. What are you giving praise for? My husband's, My husband's salvation. Give him praise for husband's salvation. What are you giving praise for? Say it again. 
250 days sober from alcohol, but I'm going to up him. I'm giving him praise that he's going to be sober for 365 days, for two years, for three years, for five years, for the rest of your life, my friend, you will be sober. Let's give God praise for that. See, we give God praise before the prayer as though it's already been answered, even though we don't have the evidence, church. Can I tell you the power of what happens when you begin to pray like this? Our our student pastors uh, asked me to speak at our student retreat. Y'all remember this, right? My goodness, it was so rough because I have not, I've not talked to students in ages. And it's, it's like speaking a different dialect or a different language when you're talking to kids. And so, so I remember that night I came in and, and all of our students are up front. I think we have a picture. All of our students are up front. They're praising God. Like everybody's up there and I'm in the back getting ready to give this message. And I look up and there are these four dudes they're wearing Adidas pants, and I'm not trying to stereotype. I'm just guessing they play soccer because all kids who play soccer are awesome. <laughs> but these four, these four dudes are sitting there, and they're on their phones just hanging out, like totally disengaged from what was going on at this retreat. And I thought, oh, dear Jesus, like, I, I got to give this message. And, and if they aren't going to connect with that, they sure aren't going to connect with me. And so uh, God just showed up and he said, praise before the prayer, man. Praise before the prayer. I said, you got me. You got me, God. That's right. I need to give praise before the prayer. And so I said, God, I'm giving you praise that regardless of the limitations of this message and the poor delivery that's about to come out of my mouth, I'm giving you praise that there will be life change at the end of it. I'm giving you praise now. I'm giving you praise now. And so I gave this message and all the students came up front and all of them are praying with their youth pastors. Why? Because I told them to. Nobody moved by that message. I told them to come up front. So I go back, and, and my wife, who knows that I was struggling, she gives me a pat on the back. She said, you did a, you did a good job. Like, oh, honey, you're so sweet. You have to say that. And, uh, and I kid you not, I look up, and there are those same four punks standing in front of me, unmoved. I'm like, you jerks. Sorry, uh, I'm just letting you know. That's how I talk on the daily. You jerks. You punks. Like, how dare you? I'm giving my life to this, and you pretend like nothing's happened. And, and, and God, praise before the prayer, man. Praise before the prayer. I said, okay. So I start singing with our amazing worship team, our student-led worship team, and they were crushing it. And I've got both hands up because I'm giving God praise for the life change that's about to happen in this moment. And I'm in the middle with both hands up, and I feel a tap on my shoulder. I'm like, who is bothering me during this worship time? And, and I look over, and standing in front of me is one of those four kids that I had written off at the beginning of the message. He's standing in front of me, and he looks at me. He says, Pastor, he said, I want you, I want you to know I, I struggle with addiction. I'm addicted to pills. I'm addicted to alcohol. He said, I want you to know I struggle with depression. He said, I, I struggle with suicidal thoughts. He said, it is my life right now. And, and, and I asked him some questions. I asked him if people knew about what he was going through. And we talked through that. 
But then at the end of it, in tears, he looks at me and he says, Pastor, I want the freedom that you're talking about. I want the freedom that you're talking about. How do I do that? And, 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 and so we just let him Jesus right there. Like, we just led him to Jesus, and he gave his life to God, and it was so powerful. But I don't know why you're clapping. I don't know why you're, like, normally I'd say clap for that. But, but why are you clapping? Like, we already gave God praise way ahead before he was ever saved. We were given praise over here as though the prayer was answered before it ever happened down there. It's easy to give thanks down here when you see the evidence of God's work. It's different when you're on the other side, giving him praise for things that you can't see, but believing that it's answered before it's ever been evident. Are you with me, church? See, right now, we need to start giving God praise that there is going to be healing in your sickness. There needs to be praise that God is going to fill the empty void and loneliness that is your life. We give God praise in this moment that even though we can't see the end of our struggle, we know that God is going to give us strength every single day, every step of the way, church. What if we started giving God praise for the 400 baptisms we're going to see in 2023? What if we gave God praise in this moment for the people that are going to come to Jesus because you decided to be stretched and be a first church champion in someone's life. Let's give God praise in this moment for the freedom that is about to be experienced, church. Stand to your feet. Come on. See, for some of us, freedom feels foreign. And the reason freedom feels foreign to us is because for most of us and some of us, we have doubts about God. We don't believe in God. We don't even care about God. We don't have faith. Some of us, it is hard for us to find freedom because we still have the habits, hurts, and the hang-ups of our lives. We keep watching. We keep popping. We keep thinking about. Like, we struggle to find freedom. Some of you, the weight of your situation right now in this moment is so heavy that you don't believe you can find freedom in this moment. And so today, what I want to do right now is I want you to experience the freedom that God offers. If you have doubts, if you don't believe in God, if you don't think he's real, I want you to know he wants a real personal relationship with you. And typically, we pray this prayer. Oh, it's the, it's the little, uh, we follow step by step by step. We say Romans 10, 9. If you declare with your lips that Jesus Christ is Lord and he was raised from the grave, you will be saved. Some of you need that today. But what I'm going to say to you in this moment is let's, let's come to faith in a different way. What if you gave God praise, praise as your first step in faith? Would you, would you close your eyes with me for, for just a second? And I want you to pray this prayer. If, if you don't know God, if you need to experience God, if you want Jesus in your life, pray this prayer with me. God, God, I'm giving you praise for the freedom I'm about to experience. God, I, I, I don't know that freedom yet. I can't feel that freedom yet. But right now, pray this. God, I'm giving you praise for the freedom that I'm going to experience. 
eyes are closed. If you prayed that prayer right now, just raise your hand. Put it up so I can see it. Look at that. Everywhere. 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 You raise your hand acknowledging that you want freedom. And what is so powerful is at the end of this story, Jesus looks at you and says, if you've been giving me praise, he says, rise up, church. Rise up, church, because your praise and your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. Your praise has healed you. Rise up, church, because your praise is your faith. Rise up because your praise is what is making you well. Rise up in this moment and believe that your God is breaking barriers. Rise up in this moment and go because God is moving mountains. Your God's not going to fail you yet. Your God's going to show up one more time and give you the freedom that you desire in your life. He's done it before, church. He's going to do it again and again and again and again. And we're going to give him all the glory.